This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. Uh, I'm in the studio uh, with Ali Johan, and we are joined virtually uh, by Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. So I don't know who to ask to say hello first. I mean, it should be Ali because he's right across from me. Say hello, Ali. Yes. Hello, Richard. And how are you, Daniel? Very fine, thank you. Thank you for having me again, uh, Ali and uh, Richard. And uh, you know, you didn't invite me to the studio. That's why I'm not there. It, it's a last-minute decision. Um, uh, today's show, of course, is a show in three parts, as per usual. Starting off with some news and some car launches uh, in a little while. Moving on to a discussion about do we need different car plates for EVs? And then wrapping up with a car review of the Lotus Emira. That's all coming up a little bit later on. But of course, kicking us off is some launches. What have we got? It's been a quiet week on the local front, so we're going to head over to Europe to look at the unveiling of an all-new BMW X1. It's a very popular compact SUV and um, BMW like to categorise the X1 as an affordable performance SUV. And now they've got an all-new model for it, the BMW X1 M35i. What does this M35i signify, Daniel? Well, you know, BMW already has the normal X1, which is petrol-driven. They've got the electric version, which they showed uh, some 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 weeks ago. And then there's also a plug-in hybrid, but now comes an M version. And you know, when BMW says M, it means high performance. That is their tuning division for M products. At the moment, it's only destined for certain markets in Europe and North America. And I think this is because it's going to be rather expensive. Mm-hmm. So... Let's let's look at the stats. Zero to hundred in five point four seconds. That's you know, hot hatch territory. That's what you know, like Golf GTI, Mercedes Benz A forty five, you know, those kind of figures. Top speed two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour, and that's restricted. So it's very clear that this is not going to be something that's, you know, for the average, uh, you know, BFM employee, you know, <laughs> I know how much you guys earn. You won't be able to afford this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that is the all-new BMW X1 M35i. I guess when we're looking at this kind of size, uh, what are its uh, competitors then? Well, you have the Mercedes uh, GLA. That's a direct competitor. The Volvo XC40, which is available in Malaysia. Both vehicles are available in Malaysia. Then you have the Audi Q3. From Japan, you'll have the Lexus NX, which will be a direct competitor, 2-litre turbocharged. But when it comes to M-specific vehicle, Mercedes has the AMG version. Volvo will have their plug-in hybrid version because you have two engines working. You know, you've got a motor and the engine working. Uh, for Audi, you have the RS version. Um, they're all in the 500, 600,000 range, mm. uh, except for the Volvo because it's plug-in hybrid. So it's not going to be something for, like I said, the average BFM employee to, to afford Right, there we go. So, we're also preparing for the arrival of a hybrid variant of the new Toyota CHR. So, uh, we had Toyota CHR in this country and it was a petrol version. And now comes, uh, in Europe, they announced the second generation CHR. Uh, it's the first hybrid version for the region as well. It seems like Toyota are slowly showcasing their electric powertrains. You know, yeah. earlier this year, they announced the BZ4X and then now... CHR with hybrid engine? Yes. So, you know, if you look at Toyota, they've been very conservative uh, in, you know, revealing what they're going to do in terms of electrification. Yes, they have the BZ4X, but, you know, I think they're still hoping and they're still, I think they're, they're, they're keeping their, their, their bets on for, for, you know, the, the plug-in hybrid market to, to keep 
active uh, simply because it's been proven, it's tried and tested. Uh, you don't see hybrid owners complaining much. Okay, yes, when the battery needs replacing on the 9th and 10th and 11th year, there will be some owners complaining a little bit. But even you know, even with that complaint, it's it's eight nine thousand ringgit. It's not like a massive amount of money when you compare the prices of a full electric vehicle battery, right? Mm. So I think Toyota still wants to continue trying to put out hybrids there, better driving distance, uh, more efficient battery power. And also lower price. They want to make it affordable and acceptable by a lot of people. But then you have other markets, and you know this has always been a problem which I've shared with you. Europe says no, we want all electric vehicles. Now, if Europe says okay, we want all electric vehicles, is there enough electric vehicles coming out of factories right now? On top of that, we know for a fact that there are some Chinese-made electric brands that are starting to go bankrupt because they just can't make enough money on each car. To be profitable when they're that competitive. Speaking of that, I was looking at some of the figures that came out uh, for the second quarter. Um, right. Tesla sales are above what they expected them to be. Some of the Chinese manufacturers, in terms of like electric vehicles, their sales were above what they expected to be. Yes. You know, so they're doing well. They're doing well, but you must understand there's 60 over manufacturers in China. Mm, mm, mm. 60 over, and the reason Shanghai Motor Show. I mean, uh, uh, my 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 colleague went. And he came back and said, there's just way too many manufacturers. And, you know, some of them, you don't know whether they're going to be around. Now, the big brands, Great Wall, yeah. BYD, yeah. Cherry. Yeah, in Malaysia, Cherry is launching very soon. They are also around the world. So, uh, they will make money. They will they will go ahead because they got volume. Once you start exporting, you make volume. A lot of people think, okay, just with the Chinese market, they can make enough money. It's difficult because you have so many options. Plus, you have the Europeans and also Koreans coming into China and selling their vehicles. So, I think it's still a lot of hope for, for plug-in hybrids. It's only if they can continue to get tax concessions. Like now in Malaysia, there's very little tax concession for a hybrid, but there's 100% tax concession for electric vehicle. So the average person will say, given the choice, I'll just go for electric line you know, when it's in the premium market. Yeah, and we're still talking about the hybrid variant of the all-new second-generation Toyota CHR. Which, CHR. But Daniel, as far as I understand, UMW Toyota in Malaysia decided to stop the CHRs in our markets? Well, the previous CHR was fully imported because they mm. didn't have an assembly facility for the whole of Southeast Asia. So there's no point just doing for Malaysia. You don't have the numbers. So when they brought the vehicle in, it was, you know, it was much more expensive than the market leader, which was the Honda HRV. So when you're a lot more expensive, you can't get the numbers. And when you can't get the numbers, the business case doesn't seem to want to continue. So mm-hmm. that's why they, they slowly kept quite... They sold quite a bit. You see quite a bit on the road. Yeah. And right now, actually, you see grey importers starting to bring them in because, of course, in Japan, they're now a few years old. They're much cheaper. They can bring them in. But I think with this new one, together with the soon-to-be-announced Toyota Prius plug-in hybrid... Mm. I think Toyota in Malaysia will bring them in. Of course, the price will not be reasonable because, again, no local assembly. But um, I think there'll be enough buyers to make a business case. Interesting. So that's uh, the new Toyota CHR with a hybrid powertrain coming soon, already uh, unveiled in Europe this week. Quickly, in some other news, um, Ferrari with their XX badge have unveiled a new edition of um, the XX badge, the SF90 Stradale and also the SF90 Spider. And we're looking at the prices here of these two sports cars, Daniel. Ooh. Very reasonable. Very, Very reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> these prices are astronomical. Yes, but you know, Ferrari has got it so rare, so limited in mm. terms of uh, numbers being sold. Uh, 799 units for, for the 
double X, and for the SF90, only 599 units. Now, both models are V8 plug-in electric hybrid vehicles. So, oh. you don't get the full tax concession. Now, without the full tax concession, you can't get a tax-free price. So, you're looking at about 4 million ringgit with taxes. What? And that's just the starting price, you know, once you start loading it up. Now, these are 4-litre V8 hybrids and they make, you know, ridiculous kind of power. The 0 to 100 is 2.3 seconds. So, without even launch control, you could be having neck pain, you know, every time you start hard. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling you know, out so, of your car park. <laughs> yeah, you know, so older people like me will not be able to drive it, you know, without having, you know, going to the chiropractor every few days. Top speed is 320 kilometers now. Where are you going to go? The maximum speed is 110. I mean, this is the thing. These kind of cars, you know, with that kind of acceleration and that kind of speed, and you know, that the people are buying these are going to be putting them on display somewhere and not yes. driving them you know you see I would like to actually you know visit Ferrari and talk to the management and say listen cars look gorgeous right mm. so can you make me one of these cars just put in a 2 litre engine you know? ah yeah yeah <laughs> and then put one of those speakers and, and you know generate that wonderful V8 or V12 or whatever you want to do but I just need a 2 litre engine I'll just potter around town you know, and nobody will know, you know. Mm, mm. That's why I'm saying this car is not designed for us. It's designed for people who just want to, you know, mm. buy it and, and, and show their wealth. They're probably, like like Richard said, just going to park it somewhere and keep it on display. Which is, uh, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Well, prices are going from 3.9 million uh, up to 4.3 million ringgit. Well, there you go. Yeah. Hmm. Let them yeah, spend their money one, however they want. Thing, you notice that the show car is in white with some orange accents. Why, why, why not red with, with white? Ah, good point. Mm. Ferrari is moving away from that whole all red thing, you know. Are they now? I think so. I think so. I think they're getting bored because people are saying red, everything red, 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 red. red. <laughs> you know? Let's try white for a change. Okay, what else did you get up to then? I heard you uh, test drove a scooter. Not just you heard, you saw me. Oh, it was the same one, was it? Oh, yes, that's the same one. Yes, same yes. One. Very handsome looking thing, the scooter. Yes. Oh, oh me. You're talking about me. <laughs> The Blue Shark R1 electric scooter. So we had a chance to take it out. Mm. And you know, I'm not a big fan of big bikes because I'm not a big biker. I, I have the license, but I'm not a big biker. But I like small bikes. They're nippy, they're easy to get around. So whenever the opportunity comes for a small bike, I tell my colleague, I say, no, 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 I'm going to take it out. So I took this out. It's uh, fully electric. There are two small batteries under the seat, just like with a lot of other electric motorcycles and scooters that we have test ridden. The only difference is these are swappable batteries. Okay, yeah. So they've got nice plastic casing. They look very like a Lego set, you know. You get on the scooter, there's a nice big screen right in front of you. The screen looks like a smartphone. There's also sensors around the bike. So when you use your left signal or right signal, there are little cameras at the back with sensors that actually displays what is on your left or right. That's very handy. Yes. So it's great in terms of saying that you got an added safety feature that you don't have to look into your side view mirrors. Mm. But it's only usable from, say, um, 8 in the evening until 6.30 in the morning. Oh, when it's too bright, you can't see? The moment the sun comes up, tablet thing all. Really? Because the screen is not angled 45 degrees or even oh. 50 degrees towards the rider simply because scooter handles are such. You know what it's I mean? It's kind of yeah, flat. Yeah. Yes. So no matter how you try and angle it, like you angle your position also, your seating position, you still find it very difficult to see because of the sun hitting on it. So it has to be angled or they got to come up with some kind of screen where, you know, it doesn't reflect in the sun. That is stage two, I think. Mm. Uh, they know about it when I told them, they say, yes, a lot of people have mentioned. But anyway, when you're riding in the evening, when the sun is down, great feature. 
great way of making sure there's something on your left or right when you put your turn signal. That's number one. Number two, this scooter has a reverse gear. <laughs> now, it's not very heavy, but you know, when you put it into reverse gear, you realize how useful it is when, for example, like when I came to your office, you know, the motorcycle parkings are so tight, right? Yeah. So I squeeze into one lot. And then when you want to push out, you have to put your legs down and push. But instead of pushing, you just go into reverse gear and it'll reverse, you know? And I'm, and I'm talking about a proper reverse gear. That means you can actually accelerate into reverse, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. And it's light, so it's easy to balance. Now, when you're on the road, you've got three usable speeds. Now, level one takes you up to 40 kilometers an hour. That means you can't go past 40. I mean, you can squeeze 41 or 42 if you're slightly downhill. Lah. Level 2 will take you up to 60. You can another, squeeze another 1 or 2 if you're downhill. Level 3 takes you to a maximum of 90 and that's it. Now, why do you have three levels of power? Simply to save battery power. Mm. So, if you're riding and you're thinking, okay, I'm just pottering around in heavy traffic and I'm not going that fast, keep it in level 1 and then, you know, you can potter around and, you, yeah, you yeah. know, when needed, you can go into level 2, Right? So, for example, someone like you, Richard, you know, you, you live in Bangsa, you work in Tamantun, you'll probably be at level two max the whole time. Right. Because you'll yeah. never get to go past 60. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's not because you don't want to. It's just that, you know, there's, there's traffic everywhere. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Did you manage to get it up to level three yourself? I got it up to level three. If you're going to take two people, you mm. might not be able to go up to 90. Do they use one battery at a time? It uses one battery at a time. So, if you need to charge one battery, you can. Each battery will take you up to about... 50 kilometers of riding distance. Mm. Not bad so, at all. I used to bike over four days. There was one day I just needed to do a quick errand and I noticed the, the, the battery was a bit low. So I took out one, I charged it and I did my errand. I came back, charged the second one and I put both back in. Now, I got about maybe 80 plus kilometers out of my riding because there were times when I was just simply like, you know, just for fun, I'll just hard accelerate just to see whether I can keep up with the other bikers on the road. You can do the hard acceleration when you're in level two. Not mm. in level one. Level one will, is very slow to discharge because they want to save battery. Right? Yeah. How much is it selling for? Oh, the bike price. Ah. Okay, there's two versions. The high spec version which we test rode is 9,390 ringgit. Eh, not bad. Not bad. Now, the lower spec version is 7,190 ringgit and that means slightly less sensors and, and features. Now, for the average person buying a scooter, they'll say, hey, I can buy a Yamaha, Honda That's true. around that price That's or true. I can buy a Kapchai for half the price. Mm -hmm. Now, the people who saw me riding this bike at, at traffic jams and all who started a conversation with me like, hey, uncle, this bike electric, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. They never asked about price. They always asked one thing, how far can I go? Aha. Uh -huh. Right. The fact that it was below 100 kilometer on a full charge deterred a lot of people. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of distance do the average motorcyclist, you know, um, hmm. uh, takes in, in in a day? Say someone who works every day, maybe he travels 20, 30 kilometers. So that's one issue. A lot of them during the day or maybe lunch break will take their motorcycle to go and pick up their kids from school and send them home. Do you know that? Yeah. So if you have two kids, maybe two different schools, you have to do two rounds. So if you, if you total all that up, maybe it's about 50, 60 kilometers. And then maybe after work, they need to go, you know, maybe they have to go for prayers or maybe you have to go and do some errands. So I think for, for a lot of them, uh, they want to have that, that, you know, that confidence that I can go more than 100 mm. kilometers without mm. worrying, you know. Mm. Mm. With an electric vehicle, they say 90, 95, 100, but reality might be 80, 85, you know. Right. So Daniel, um, 
seeing that you are probably the only person in the whole of Malaysia that have uh, ridden this Blue Shark R1 scooter. No, I've never ridden it. <laughs> you know, we are very much a motorbike nation. Um, yes. I, we've never seen Blue Sharks on the road as many as, you know, other bikes. How, do you, true, think, yes. how do you think it's going to do like an electric scooter? It sounds like it's great technology and it's saving, but how do you think it's going to do? So I don't think it can go far unless, unless, and you heard it here first, the local government says inner city ride hailing or you know delivery service or, or anybody who's using scooters must be emission free well that's a dream right well it's been done in some countries in in uh, in first world countries where they say inner city commuting inner city delivery even like you know delivery vans like you know uh, the parcel delivery mm, guys mm, mm. they all have to be emission free for a smoke b Noise mm. pollution. Mm. So we know how much noise our local scooters make in town, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, imagine if they said, okay, you know, all these urban areas, you must use this. And then the government gives an incentive. Battery swapping gets even cheaper. Can you imagine how wonderful life would be? Nice and quiet. Nice and quiet. Then you can see a lot of people forcing themselves to purchase this. Then you'll see... Maybe even delivery charges coming down because the maintenance on the scooters are supposed to be much less. And on that note, we're going to take a short break. Uh, folks, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on Cruise Control. We're having a bit of a discussion. Do we need different car plates for EVs? And if we do, why? Daniel's going to talk to us about that in just a few minutes. This is Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9. FM 89.9 of the business station. Welcome back to Cruise Control, a car show in three parts. My name is Rich Bradbury here in the studio with Ali Johan, of course. Joining us uh, virtually, it is Daniel Fernandez. We've just been speaking about uh, a bunch of stuff the BMW X1, the Toyota CHR Hybrid, the Blue Shark R1 scooter. Now, though, uh, keeping in mind with uh, electric vehicles and all things such, EV-specific number plates are probably a good idea for Malaysia. According to Daniel Fernandez, why is this, Daniel? Ah, according to me, okay. <laughs> Actually, it's according to uh, Anthony Logla, a wonderful YB of uh, Ministry of Transport, you know. And he said it's time for us to get EV-specific number plates. I think it's a fantastic idea for a couple of reasons. Number one, there are a lot of EVs out there that look really weird and you know it's an EV, right? Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of EVs out there that look like normal cars. And, you know, people are saying, yeah, you know, I spend so much money buying this EV and no one is noticing how I'm saving the environment, you know. So, for them to have this EV number plate, I think is a good idea. But the biggest, the biggest benefit of this is for Bomba, for our fire department. Because why? If there's an accident involving an EV and you have to be careful with, you know, like the electrical wiring, uh, battery, you know, how to handle the battery if a fire starts, all this. The fire department, which are being trained right now, a lot of the fire departments are being trained right now how to handle this because in Australia, there was an issue. In New Zealand, there was an issue. In UK, there was an issue. I think, Richard, you know about it, you know? Mm. EVs caught fire and, mm. the, and, the, and the fire department didn't know what to do and it took days to clear the fire. America has been going on for some time but people are just... Uh, squashing the news because they don't want this to spoil EV sales. EV fires take much longer to to put out. Okay, yeah. It's a fact. And you need special chemicals, special blankets, special ways to do it. You could, you, And you can't use water. Mm, mm. 
because of the cables. And then you can't have firemen even with their protective gear. They can't. Ha- they, if they touch any of those cables, they'll be fried, literally fried. Mm. You know. Mm. So I think having this EV number plate is a very very good thing because there are still a lot of electric vehicles coming into the market that don't look unusual. You know, don't look out of the game. You know, have the special EV number plates. Then they understand what to do if there is a problem. Also, when there's an accident, you know, for example, now you have a, a fender bender, but you know, EVs are very strong in the front and back because they're holding together the battery pack in the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have an accident thinking, oh, there's nothing wrong. I can just go in and remove the passenger or remove their bags in the back or whatever. But there could be exposed wiring, mm. you know? If the wiring is exposed, what are you going to do? Are you just going to go and touch it with your bare hands or even with your simple gloves? No, you need to have proper equipment again. So this is very, very important. And I think uh, getting it done as soon as possible because the number of EVs coming to the market and some of them are looking very normal is getting more by the day. I didn't look at it from this perspective, but yeah, that, that seems like a, a very smart thing to do. Huh. And you know, it also gives a chance for the, for, the, for the government to earn some money from all these EV number plates. There'll be special number plates like you know, the one recently where they made 7.2 million just yeah. in a series of PPP, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you could have an EV license plate then, Daniel, and you could choose the, you know, what you wanted to put on it, what would you put on it? Definitely EV8 because that will be the most expensive when I sell it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the money, dude. EV8. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get or it. EV88 or EV888 or EV8888. Uh huh, uh huh. I'd have something like bzzz, one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, thanks, for that, Daniel. Okay, and on that note, let's take another short break. We'll be back after these messages, of course, uh, with the third and final part of Cruise Control. It is a car review, the Lotus Emira. Sounds enticing. We'll be right back here on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, third and final part of Cruise Control here on today's show. Of course, Ali Johan with me here in the studio and Daniel Fernandez out there in the ether somewhere uh, with his license plate EV8 somewhere. Uh, okay, Daniel, moving on to something a little bit different, of course. Uh, this car, re- uh, sorry, the review, the Lotus Emira. Tell us about this. I love it. <laughs> okay, review done. Okay. End of the show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I, I can't say anything else. I just love it. But let me give you some bare facts, okay? Mm. Number one, Emira. Do you know what Emira means? No, no idea. Okay, you know Lotus before had Elise. That's a girl's name, right? Yes. Evora, supposedly a girl's name also. Then Exige, definitely not a girl's name. Okay? <laughs> okay. Could be, could be if she's Ukrainian. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So now comes Emira. If you, you can Google this, it's actually a name of a Latin version, Turkish version of a princess. And you know, this card's got such seductive lines on it. Okay. I mean, look at the pictures, man. Come yeah, on. Yeah, it, it is a very good-looking car. Beyond gorgeous. It is just superbly put together. The proportions are just right. So design-wise, boom, they got it right. Straight off, they got it right. I mean, the Evora was already good-looking. The Elise was good-looking. But, you know, they, 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 they sort of dated over time you know, because of the last 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. But this car, I think it won't date for a long time. And if you look closely at some of the lines, if I took away the badges, you can mistake it for a McLaren. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. Yeah. You can even mistake it for a Ferrari, which we were talking about earlier. Ah, yeah. Okay. So it's got that sort of, you know, general sports car beauty, which you can't fault. 
And the funny thing is, when I brought it home, I actually got a chance to bring it home. Some of my neighbours actually thought I was driving a Ferrari. No one expected a Lotus to look like this and no one knew about Lotus building a sports car like this because it was very quiet. The, 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 the whole hype was not there yet, you know? Right, yeah. So anyway, this is a brand new Lotus. It's called the Emira. It is still built in your home country, Richard. Oh, finally. We have something then. Yes. Even though it's owned by Geely, 100% owned by Geely, they've built a new base in China. They've built a new factory in China. But they say, hey, the electric vehicles will build in China. The fuel-fed vehicles will build in UK. Okay. Okay. So I'm okay with right. that. Because some of the best racing engineers are still in the UK. Mm-hmm. Why? You look at all the F1 teams. If you if you dial into all the individual engineers in different different teams, a lot of them are British. Yeah, true. Uh, they may not be able to put together a car company that's profitable, but they know racing technology. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't help but have a little dig, can you? You know, it's like you you give with one hand and you take with the other. <laughs> yeah, because you know Land Rover is now in India. Anyway, so. <laughs> So anyway, Lotus Amira specification, V6 supercharged engine from Toyota. Mm-hmm. Lotus have always taken Toyota engines. They love Toyota engines because why? They're reliable, they're safe, they're easy to fix, they've got no issue. I mean, you know, compared to a lot of other professional engines. But this is what they're using. Now, there's also an Amira with an AMG 2-liter turbocharged engine. That has not arrived yet. Okay. So this first batch is using the, the Toyota sourced fuel-fed 3.5 liter supercharged engine. Now, this has got 400 horsepower, 420 newton meters of torque. Now, any supercar owner listening to this will say, Hi, yeah, 400 horsepower only, 420 newton meters. My Italian sports car, double of that, you know. Yes, true. Your Italian sports car will probably have 800, 900 horsepower. Talk about 900, 1000, 1001. Fine, I agree with you. But and I say this, but this car is just 1.4 tons in weight. So you're much lighter. Just a little bit more than the old minis used to weigh. Exactly. Now, if you look at the old Lotus Exige and Elise, they're all about 1 ton, 1.1, 1.2. So uh, it's, uh. it's typical Lotus mantra, be as light as possible. Yeah. And still, when you get in the car, leather everywhere. Sorry, vegans. When you put leather on seats and dashboard and, and door covers and all that, you're going to add weight mm, mm. because it's not light. Mm, mm. Then you got sound system from KEF, KEF, one of the finest British hi-fi producers. You know them, right? Yeah. Which I have to say is a complete waste of time. Huh? Why? Because you got this wonderful supercharged engine right behind you. It's mid-engine. Huh. You'll be listening to the engine more than the sound system. So if you're parked and waiting for someone with the engine off, then the CAF has got some value. Apart from that, switch off your CAF and listen to your engine, okay? Mm-hmm. So like I was going back to the specs of the engine, 3.5 V6, everything else. Now, 400 horsepower, again, doesn't sound a lot, but with a six-speed manual gearbox, remind you, a six-speed manual gearbox, which one of the competitors has a six-speed manual gearbox or even a manual gearbox right now? None. Mm. You can go from zero to 100 acceleration in 4.3 seconds. <laughs> okay? So I'm already now, imagining your face as you're sat in this thing. Top speed, 290 kilometers an hour. You can't go anywhere with it, but you know, if you have the available space, try it out and see. Now, here comes the best argument against the supercar owners. This car sells for 478000 duty-free. 
eh. duty free. Yeah. Now the nearest rival from UK, Aston Martin. Aston Martin, their supercar is double the price and almost 500 kilos heavier. Okay. So, if you add in the duty, this is 1.2 million. The direct rival, the Aston Martin, is almost 2.1 million. So, for that additional with taxes paid, 1 million odd ringgit. Do you want a Lotus or do you want an Aston Martin? It's a exactly. question. Exactly. So, either right. you're a big 007 fan or you're a big Colin Chapman fan, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, driving this car, It comes with 20-inch uh, wheels. It's got specially designed Goodyear tires simply because of the handling. Um, you get into the car, like I said, it's it's you know quality materials all around. Unlike the old Lotus vehicles were a little bit spartan because they wanted to keep the weight down. This is a full-fledged luxury sports car, okay? Yeah. You've got a infotainment screen that I think is one of the best in the business right now because an old man like me learned it in just five minutes. <laughs> And you weren't complaining have, that there weren't enough dials for you? Even though there's not enough dials, I could <laughs> learn it in five minutes. That's good enough for me. Okay, okay. Now, the instrument cluster, that was a bit disappointing because it's all digital. Right, right, right. I still want those analog meters, you know, skipping up and down. But anyway, the new generation, not me, they want this. Steering wheel, flat bottom, nicely rimmed. Alcantara all around the rest of the car. Gear shifter, just like with the old Exige and Elise. The ignition button is just below it with a little red flap like a jet fighter, you know? Oh, I love those. You've basically got everything you need in a sports car. Then you've got three driving modes. That is tour, sport and track. Now, tour is for city driving and heavy traffic. You just let everything work in your favor. Then there's sport, which they take away some of the handling and, 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 uh, and the VSA and all that. So that means you've got more on-the-edge driving and you get more torque delivery and a larger... Intake sound coming from the supercharger. Mm. Then you've got track. Now track, you have to be very careful. If you're an average driver like me, you don't want to put it in track and drive on the street because it takes away a lot of your stability control because it wants you to slide a little bit. Right. Don't be too enthusiastic because even with my experience, I had the, the rear skipping a little bit in certain corners. Maybe I was too excited. Maybe I'm just a little bit older. Maybe it's just too powerful for me. Mm, you know. Mm, mm. But keep it in in in. Uh, in sport and you'll be fine in the city you know even even chasing around now apart from that you drive it it's comfortable yes manual the the the, the clutch is a bit heavy but it's not as heavy as some other hard nose hot hatches like the Renault Megane you know or the Renault Megane Cup you know these cars have got even harder clutches uh, it's not as hard as the, the previous Exige S clutch it's a little bit lighter so they've made it more comfortable yet keeping it still a manual a proper manual Now, you can also buy an automatic version, but most buyers have gone for the automatic, sadly. Very few have gone for the manual, which I, I think is a waste, you know? Mm, mm. Because I think if you're buying a car, I did keep it manual. But then, you know, I'm not in the buyer demographic. From Ignition, it's quiet. It's not really noisy. It's just like all the other new supercars coming out of, of uh, all the other, you know, it- Italians and British and German and whoever else. Because why? Noise pollution. Mm. But if you stick it in sports mode, you do get the sound that you want. Was there anything about it that you didn't like? Okay, I'll tell you what I didn't like about the car. Number one, I can't afford it. That's number one. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Number two, I think the radio is a, is a waste of time in a car like this. The audio system, you mm. know? Mm. If there was an option that says you can buy it without the CAF audio, I'll say fine. Because you just want to hear that engine sound. Okay. Okay? Number three, that Toyota engine, no matter how excited it is, how 
how wonderful it is. It's supercharged. I think superchargers are yesterday. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Today, turbochargers are much more efficient and turbochargers give a better bang from acceleration times. Now, if this car had a turbocharged engine, I think, I'm not an engineer, but I think the zero to 100 time would be below four seconds. But I can understand them using this engine because this was used in the Exige and used in the Evora and it was super reliable and, you know, like like we always say, you know, tried and tested, why spoil it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Daniel, what Toyota cars use this engine? Uh, these are the big sedans that are sold in Japan. They don't come to Malaysia. The bigger version of the Camry, there's a Toyota Crown Royal Saloon, there's a Toyota Mark X. These are all JDM-specific mm, cars. Mm, mm. And some of these cars also go to New Zealand and Australia, but they don't come to our part of the world because if they came here, their new price will be four, five, six hundred thousand ringgit. The Toyota Crowns, I do love those. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the base engine, the base block will actually be found in the Toyota Alpha, the high-spec Toyota Alpha. Oh, really? Whoa. That base V6, you know, 24 right. valve, yeah. without a supercharger, of course, you mm. know? In terms of maintenance in the long run, no issue. Lah. Okay. So, uh, clearly, you love this thing then. When are you buying one? <sighs> yes, you know, I, I talked to my banker about remortgaging my house. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, was, of course. I was even talking to them about, you know, whether I can sell some of the furniture in my house. But I haven't been able to get a good solid feel yet. Like, you know, uh-huh, so. uh-huh. Um, what did the missus say about that as well? I'm sure she, she must have had an know. opinion. She doesn't know because she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's get out of here before she starts listening. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, this is uh, the wrapping up of today's show. Of course, it's Cruise Control, a car show in three parts. Uh, we started off with some uh, news, of course, the BMW X1, the Toyota CHR Hybrid, the Blue Shark R1 scooter, a bit of a review there. And of course, we then moved on to a discussion about whether or not we need different car plates for EVs and the idea behind that and of course they're wrapping up with that gushing review at Ali uh, that Daniel has given us the Lotus Emira if you missed any part of the show go download the podcast you know where to get it from by now we'll be back same time same place next week here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.